You are listening to the Not Rich Yet podcast, where we have discussions on all things money, entrepreneurship, and leadership to help you uncover opportunities to build wealth in ways that are meaningful to you. I'm your host and your financially savvy big sister, Jasmine Sukmanen. I'm not rich yet, but I will be, and so will you. On today's show, I'm talking to a certified financial planner and a financial advisor at Drucker Wealth. Her name is Autumn Lax, and we're talking about Henry's. That's actually an acronym that stands for High Earner, Not Rich Yet, and it refers to a subset of the population that might earn a lot of money, but for whatever reason, they aren't yet considered rich or wealthy, and they actually have significant barriers to finally obtaining that financial independence. If you're tuning into this show, you could be a Henry and not even know it. The only way to find out is to keep listening. Autumn, it's so great to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Of course. So I have covered the topic of Henry's a little bit in my work as a financial journalist. And Henry is actually an acronym that stands for high earner, not rich yet. So today's conversation is basically going to be focusing on that subset of the population. So just to start off, Autumn, uh, what are some defining characteristics of this identity known as Henry's? Yeah. So, um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, high earner, not rich yet. Really, these are people that are making a good income. They have a high salary, um, but they don't really have any wealth accumulated or anything to show for it. So to put another way, if you were to stop working, there's nothing left over to show that you were ever a high earner. So as long as the money's coming in, um, there's plenty of disposable income. It's just that wealth hasn't really started to build or accumulate to show for it yet. Is there a specific like salary cutoff or threshold that would um, allow us to classify a specific individual as being a Henry or a high earner in this case? You know, I'm not sure if there's a definitive number, um, because I think it depends on depends on several factors, such as your cost of living in the particular area that you're at, uh, your expenses, goals, that kind of thing. But I think in general, at least in my line of business, um, anyone who's making six figures or more could be classified as a Henry. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think especially because as of late, there have been a lot of studies being done where, uh, you know, many people who do make six figures are reporting that it's still not enough for them. Mm -hmm. I think that for so long, um, many individuals in our society have kind of identified that six figure salary mark, that 100K mark as somewhat of an end goal almost where they're like, okay, I make a hundred K life is good. I am rich. I am living. But recently there have been many studies and reports and articles coming out about how even individuals making 100 K 150 K and more are still feeling like it's not enough for them. 
You're absolutely right. I mean, I think that $100,000 mark used to kind of be the benchmark of you've made it. And now you're just kind of scraping by, um, especially if you are married and have a family, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not even going to come close to cutting it. So, um, so yeah, there are, there are a number of people who are really making well into the six figures, you know, two, three, $400,000 a year. Um, but still feel like they don't have any real wealth amassing or anything to show for it. And so it is, it's interesting to kind of study and look at why is that happening? What are the patterns of spending and saving that are leading to this? For sure. And, um, you know, one study that is actually pretty recent. Um, I saw this online, but one study found that individuals living in New York City um, making 100K report that that salary feels like just living on 36K. And, you know, New York City is my closest metro city. Um, I actually was born and raised in Queens and have been working out of Manhattan for basically my entire career so far. And I can definitely say it is very expensive to live in Manhattan and to just be in Manhattan by the time you, you know, blink, you've basically spent 50, 60, $70 on any given day, just on, you know, breakfast, some lunch, maybe you get dinner after, or rather drinks after work with friends or coworkers, and it can really add up. Um, And I know that costs are different for different cities. And as you mentioned before, cost of living can be one of those factors that contribute to these feelings of not having anything to show for. So I would love to dive into a bit more of those other factors. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, is, you know, usually an employer is going to bump up your pay slightly. If you live in a high cost of living city, a lot of my clients are in Manhattan or they're on the West coast in LA, San Francisco. So kind of all, um, you know, expensive cities to live in, but the pay raise that you might get for living in a higher cost of city, cost of living city does not equate to the increased cost of living. So it's not a a one for one, which makes it really challenging. Um, I think, you know, some other things that really start to contribute to uh, Henry not being able to save money is housing costs. That's going to be a huge one, um, whether you're renting or looking to own. Housing is going to be one of the biggest expenses. And then student loan payments. Um, I feel like a lot of Henry's have higher earning jobs because they got a good education um, and they had to take out a lot of student loan debt to get there in the first place. And now feeling like you can't move forward because you have, you're constantly, you know, putting all of your money towards this debt. Um, The other is just lifestyle creep. So living in a, an expensive city means, you know, kind of keeping up with that pace and that lifestyle. And, um, there tends to be a lot of lifestyle creep as someone gets a pay increase, um, a bonus, you know, it seems to always go towards something else um, that can eat away at your ability to save. 
Yeah. And much of that concept of encountering lifestyle creep is psychological. Um, You know, we have this saying called keeping up with the Joneses, Mm -hmm. um, where it's, you know, essentially, maybe it's someone you follow on Instagram, um, or maybe it's one of your closest friends who, you know, they're always driving the fancy car, they're always going on these shopping trips, Um, they always appear as if they are spending um, money to a higher extent, um, to a higher degree. And a lot of times it can be easy to feel like, oh, well, they got this Mm -hmm. nice looking thing. Well, I also want it too. Um, And I believe there have actually been studies in the past that show that when your neighbor buys a new car or makes a significant home upgrade, you are more likely to spend more money um, because they did it. And that's that concept of wanting to keep up with the Joneses. That can be extremely costly to do. Absolutely. And it's a real thing. Um, And I feel also like a lot of people legitimately work hard at their job and feel like they deserve to enjoy some of that. Um, and, and it's not to say that you don't, I think, you know, you should enjoy the, the fruits of your labor, so to speak, but striking a balance is super critical when it comes to saving. And, um, it's hard to look at when we talk about keeping up with the Joneses to look at the outside picture, because there's an assumption if, someone's spending money uh, on all of these nice things that they, the rest of their life is also well taken care of. Mm -hmm. And that may not be the case uh, because if that well were to dry up, if that income stream were to stop, could they continue to live that lifestyle? Um, In a lot of cases, not. And so, um, you know, I think it's important to kind of think about saving as part of your strategy from the very beginning, that that's another bill you have to to pay. Um, You're just paying it to yourself. It's another um, obligation that you have is to to save money and set that aside before you are ever tempted to spend it. Yeah, you made such an excellent point there um, around what may constitute these outside appearances. Um, may not necessarily be reflective of what's also going on on the inside. And I actually once had a friend who, um, you know, she was spending a lot of money uh, going out to eat and stuff like that, which not to say that that's bad uh, or anything like that, but she would spend a lot of money on dining out, brunches, designer items, and things like that. She would dress extremely well. Um, Her wardrobe was always extremely well put together. Uh, She always looked amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, However, you know, you would also think most likely that on the inside, her finances and everything were also being well upkept and stuff like that. And, you know, we had a conversation one day about career money and things like that. Um, 
And she actually told me, and I had never heard anyone say this before, but she actually told me that she was drowning in student loan debt and had been out of college for the past maybe two years and still had not made a single student loan payment yet. Um, and I remember that really sticking with me because it, like you like you alluded to, it was surprising, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that, well, she has money to, you know, uh, go out and stuff like that. She must also be taking really good care of her finances and things like that. But it also goes to show you never really know uh, the full picture. So it's also an important reminder why keeping up with the Joneses can be very dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, just going back to that analogy of if you turn the faucet off, then where, where are you left? Um, I think, you know, it's really important to, to kind of have some, some safety nets in place because ultimately financial freedom doesn't mean that you have a ton of money coming in because you're ultimately strapped to that income source. Financial freedom is really being able to have choices, um, to be able to choose to, take time off, to change jobs, to travel if you want to, um, and not have to be dependent on any one thing. I think a lot of people um, confuse, you know, financial freedom with income, but the more money that you can set aside for yourself in terms of safety net, in terms of future um, investments, you know, flexible accounts that you can tap into that all gives you freedom and choices in the future to not have to be tied to something. Um, that's something that we don't see when we're just looking at that external picture. Absolutely. And just to go back to your, um, previously well-made point on striking that balance, between, you know, spending and enjoying your money and saving and investing your money. I think another reason why it's so hard to avoid things like lifestyle creep and, you know, is because again, psychology, one of the things that I learned in my behavioral economics program is, you know, we have so many different biases, um, many of them stem from, you know, human evolution, right? Because when you think of keeping up with the Joneses, many early humans uh, had to kind of keep up with the rest of the pack, kind of keep up with what other individuals in their group were doing because it was a survival instinct. You know, it was literally life or death. If you did something differently Mm -hmm. compared to the way other individuals in your group were doing it, you might be seen as an outcast and they might've refused to continue to offer you protection. And that meant you were now an open target for predators. So it certainly stems from a lot of the, um, survival mechanisms uh, that early humans had to uh, keep in place. However, one specific thing that comes to mind in these situations um, is this one bias. I actually do not remember what it's called, but uh, I remember reading it very clearly in one of my textbooks. But um, one of these biases um, actually 
kind of state that, you know, at a certain point when we're spending money at a certain point, we kind of feel like, okay, well, I've already spent X amount of money. What's another $10? What's Mm -hmm. another $15? What's another $20? And from there, it becomes even easier to overspend, even when we're already on a budget. That is so interesting. Um, I'm really fascinated by sort of behavioral finance. Um, So that story about, you know, doing what the rest of the pack is doing is really interesting. Maybe we can change the mindset going (laughs) forward that uh, saving is the thing that everyone is doing. And and that's what we need to to start keeping up with. but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, I find myself falling into that trap of thinking, oh, what's another $5? What's another $10? Um, it really does add up. I, I think one of the most valuable things that anyone can do, but particularly Henry's, because if you are a high earner, you're not having to watch where every penny goes. Um, and so it's easy for your spending to get a little bit out of control. And I think it's really important to um, take a look at your your budget and your expenses and really, you know, kind of itemize those out and see where money's going because it can be eye-opening to look at how all of those little five, 10, $20 purchases add up. And they're going to things that you probably don't need, um, probably aren't going to miss. And so I think that uh, looking at cash flow, looking at your budget and expenses is one of the best ways that a Henry can start to get a grip on how do I how do I start redirecting some of this money to more meaningful places? Do you think that you know taking on that responsibility of you know tracking your money? Do you think that there are some aspects of that? that can feel overwhelming to some people sometimes. Absolutely. Um, I absolutely do. And when I work with clients and I I take them through a financial plan, the um, expense exercise is one of the first things that we tackle. And it's almost unanimous that every client I work with uh, tells me that they're really scared to go through that process. I think that without having someone kind of holding your hand and keeping you accountable to it, a we don't we don't want to do it because we don't really want to peel back the curtain and look at what we're spending. It's scary mm-hmm. to you know this thought of kind of putting our head in the sand and hoping it goes away is easier to deal with. Um, I also think that you know we're we're busy. We're all busy. We have busy lives and. The last thing that you want to do in the evening at the end of the workday is to sit down and look at your budget. So um, it can feel very overwhelming. Uh, absolutely. And I think that gets in the way of a lot of people starting the process at all. Um, and and it really kind of takes getting over that hurdle to to really move forward. For sure. I think that's something that many individuals are told, right, that that first step needs to be awareness, Mm -hmm. Um, being able to know what your numbers look like, where you're spending, how much you're spending, and what you have left over each month. Um, I know that there are also a lot of apps on the market that automatically track your spending for you. 
Um, they connect to your bank account. So every time you end your credit card, so every time you make a transaction, it automatically records it for you. Um, and I think that for many individuals, that could be a very useful starting point for them when it comes to just being more mindful of where their money's going. Because, and I will say that I feel kind of fortunate to have been able to get a good uh, feel for both sides of this coin where, <clears throat> excuse me, I was starting my financial journey while I was still living at home and had low expenses. And I'm now continuing my financial journey, uh, renting an apartment, no longer living at home. Mm -hmm. and I will absolutely say that sometimes we create a plan for ourselves and the idea of the plan sounds good on paper, right? It, it, when we make that budget, we're like, oh, okay, yeah, I can commit to only spending X amount on groceries and eating out and takeout. And then in reality, something kind of different happens because one thing that I've learned is that when you are, you know, living on your own or even living with another person, you kind of have these little expenses that just kind of pop up, right? Maybe one week you're like, oh great, I have to buy more toilet paper or, oh no, I ran out of dish soap. I need to go get some. You know, you always have these little things to account for. Um, and with so many little expenses, again, it can feel super overwhelming, but I think that's also where a lot of these apps come in again. Yeah, I think there, you're right. There are a lot of apps in the market and I think those are a really, really good place to start. Um, certainly the sooner someone gets started in the habit of being aware of spending, um, automating a certain amount to savings first, kind of that pay yourself first mentality, um, really creating the right money mindset to, um, to, to have that awareness from the beginning is most helpful. Um, and then, you know, being mindful of having an emergency reserve in place, because you're absolutely right. There's, you could drive yourself crazy if you're trying to budget to the penny every single month. Um, life just isn't going to follow that straight of a line. There's always going to be something that creeps up that, uh, dips into what you had planned on spending. And so we need some flexibility in, in our plan. Um, and you need to have some wiggle room and some, some sort of, uh, safety net or cash reserves to fall back on that can kind of buffer those expenses because the last thing that you want to happen is that you're living so to the line that when those additional expenses creep up now you're having to put it on a credit card and then you're incurring debt which then kind of creates a vicious cycle um, where you feel like you can't ever get ahead absolutely and what are some of those other consequences of not saving or investing enough money. You kind of alluded to one of them around having an emergency fund and being able to have that buffer. But what are some other consequences of just not keeping enough of your money for yourself and your own needs? Yeah, I mean, really not being able to achieve any long-term financial goals, um, whether it's retirement or buying a home. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of those bigger 
ticket goals that people are working towards might feel like they like you can never achieve them. And then also just being very vulnerable to financial emergencies, because again, if you don't have that safety net, if you are living a little bit too close to the line each month, um, then any little thing that rocks the boat is going to throw you off course versus being able to have enough safety margin to weather some unexpected bumps in the road can help make sure that you don't get so thrown off course um, with your, you know, with your plan. For sure. And one other interesting thing that kind of just came to mind was when we think about individuals who are earning a high salary, um, it, like, I don't know, like, let's throw out a number, right? Let's say 200K. Mm -hmm. When we think about someone who's earning 200K and, you know, maybe they're going through a career transition or maybe something else is happening where maybe they got laid off and need to look for a new job and the new job they do receive, maybe it pays them a little bit less than what they were previously making. I can kind of foresee some challenges when it comes to adjusting their lifestyle to fit the new level of income that they have. Is that something that you also see happen among this uh, subset of the population? I do, because it's so much harder to adjust our lifestyle down. Once you get accustomed to living a certain way, those habits really take roots and it's very hard. So for several reasons, um, you know, it's important to kind of have have some flexibility in your finances from the start, because if you start out, say, right out of college, you get a really good job um, and you're making great income, you're making that $200,000 salary. If you start out right at that moment, carving out a portion of that to savings and then adjusting your lifestyle based on what's left over, then you're going to be accustomed to whatever that net leftover is from the very beginning. Then as you get pay raises, you increase the amount that you're saving, you know, according to your pay raise and maybe increase your lifestyle a little bit. So you're kind of striking that balance and your lifestyle doesn't creep up too much too fast. Um, then it makes it a little bit easier to, to adjust if something were to knock you back down into maybe your previous lifestyle. Um, but if you never start out with that mindset or that mentality to save first, it can really get out of hand. And uh, I have even seen people choose to take a lower uh, pay because of that work-life balance. So I've seen Henry's who are really, you know, bringing in a lot of money, but their job is very demanding and stressful and they've made made the choice to take a different job uh, with a lower pay. But you really only have the ability to do that if you can comfortably, you know, um, set expectations for your, what your new lifestyle is going to be like. And so um, I think to your point, that's absolutely something that is realistic and it's very hard to do to go backwards uh, once you've gotten accustomed to a certain lifestyle. For sure. And the first thing that came to my mind 
when you said that is the ability to afford to take a say less demanding job or a job where you are working fewer hours or a job where maybe you go from being full-time to part-time because being part-time allows you to have the ability to focus on your other passions or focus on your family and you know it it costs money to live Mm -hmm. so it's extremely important to make sure you have that cushion to weather your lifestyle expenses, your daily expenses, um, as well as any emergencies. And it definitely sounds like not taking advantage of the opportunity to save more with a already high salary kind of sets you up to not be able to take on those opportunities to have more flexibility and work a little bit less um, when they do arise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I say if you're making a good income, take advantage of that while it's there and save as much as you can, because you never know you're going to get, maybe you get laid off um, and that income's no longer there. Uh, I think it's easy to think that uh, this is always going to come in, you know, that money's always coming through the door, but it may not. And just going back to that concept that financial freedom really means you have choices. Um, And the only way that you have choices is to kind of set that up for yourself and not to be fully dependent on um, one source of income. So, um, so yeah, it's really, you know, something that's important to kind of think about from the beginning, because the idea of having a lot of money coming in and spending a lot can really snowball if we're not aware of it. Absolutely. And on that point, what is typically the, I guess, quote unquote, turning point where Henry's kind of realized that something in their financial habits really needs to change? Yeah, it's it's a little bit different for everyone, but I think it often occurs when they experience some sort of financial setback or they just start to feel the stress of not achieving their goals. Um, Mm -hmm. So a lot of the Henry's that I've worked with are kind of in, in that earlier stage of their career and their life where they are looking to buy their first home, um, maybe looking to start a family travel is usually important. Um, So when you kind of hit a roadblock and feel like, okay, wait, I'm making two, $300,000 a year, but I can't afford a home. That's crazy. You know, if I can't afford a home who can. And so I think it's when you kind of hit one of those, um, bigger milestones or financial goals that you're wanting to achieve and realizing how difficult it's going to be. Um, that's when clients start to really wake up and realize that they need to change. Uh, I've heard a lot of Henry's say, I feel like I'm not getting ahead despite the fact that I make good money. It just feels like it's all disappearing. Where is it going? Um, you know, I need help kind of figuring out what, where the, the hole is that's draining all my money. For sure. And I feel like, at least me personally, I feel like it can be very painful to think about money that you 
spent on whatever it is you're spending on thinking about that how that money could have been used towards buying a house or some other goal so I think I at least for me I think if I were in this situation that would really be my turning point where I'm just like oh no like you mean to tell me that I spent x amount of money over the years on like I don't know, clothes or whatever, when I could have been saving it for a house. Yeah, exactly. Like basically your down payment is in brunch, you know, <laughs> like you basically, um, yeah, traded one for the other. And it's not to say that you have to go to such an extreme that you have, you never leave the house, you never go do anything enjoyable and you're just socking away every last penny. I think balance is really always a good approach. Um, you want to balance enjoying the lifestyle now that you want to live and also building your wealth. Um, that second part just tends to take a back seat for a lot of people. And so it's important to um, prioritize, you know, kind of how much of your lifestyle is really most important and how much of it is just kind of wasteful spending and then um, figure out, you know, that striking that balance between being able to, to live a little and still save and invest. And I think having clearly defined goals for what it is that you want to see uh, can help with that because that's going to be different for everybody. For sure. And, you know, also to uh, offer a little bit of uh, transparency and insight into uh, what my situation was, you know, that a few years ago, maybe like three, four years ago, I was absolutely tending toward that extreme of, you know, spending a lot of money. And even though I was living at home and I was nowhere near being a Henry at that time, um, at that salary point for me, I was still spending a lot of money on things like going out to eat because at the time it was what I really enjoyed getting to do with friends, but it was also to a little bit of an extreme in my opinion. Um, so I would spend that money first and think about saving only after the fact. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that meant that I often would have months where I'm like, okay, I could only save maybe a hundred dollars this month um, because I went out to eat like five times this month already, you know? Yeah. And then I had other months where, you know, I would save nothing at all because on top of going out, maybe I also took a weekend trip somewhere, right? I traveled, I was buying things for like friends birthdays and stuff like that um and then once I started to really get serious about my financial journey and it it kind of hit me that like oh I spent a lot of money while I was living at home um and could have been really putting away more of my income so I did take that opportunity to start socking away like significant portions of my paycheck towards towards savings and investments so I basically went from maybe saving a little bit of money each month to saving 80 to 90 percent of my paycheck every single month um, and that absolutely kind of 
pushed me towards certain extremes on the other end of the spectrum mm-hmm. where now I'm like micromanaging my finances. I'm like thinking about every single dollar I spend. I am like purposely forcing myself to stay home and not go anywhere so that I don't spend any money. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> all this to say, <laughs> all this to go right back to your earlier point on the importance of striking a balance mm-hmm. between saving and spending. Well, I think it's it's amazing that you had that realization and kind of turned the corner. Um, and honestly, the way that you were feeling in terms of, uh, you know, I'm going to spend money on the things I want to spend money on and then I'll save whatever's left over is actually very common. And I think that's where a lot of people get in trouble is we feel like, savings is what's left over. And if you're not careful, there never tends to be much left over. <laughs> and really the, we need to flip the the coin on that and save first and then spend what's left over. Um, and so that's, you know, that's something that I think Henry's can kind of start with in terms of anyone out there who wants to get their financial journey on a better track is, you know, just really thinking about that saving first piece. Um, and then, you know, yes, you want to, you want to strike some balance between what you're able to do now and what you're setting yourself up for in the future. For sure. And I would love to hear your advice on, um, on this as well, but one tip that like I have found to be very useful, uh, when it comes to making sure you are thinking about your savings and your investments first, um, is automating your money. And interestingly, this also has roots in financial psychology and you know that early human um, evolutionary thinking, but you know saving uh, or rather automating your savings kind of helps you not have the option to spend it on something else. So it totally removes that decision making process between oh should I like go buy something online with this money or should I just transfer it to my savings account. Absolutely. Uh I'm a hundred percent in agreement with that. Um, (laughs) Big fan of automating the savings because let's just be real. I mean, we're not, we're always going to talk ourselves out of, you know, why it should go into savings. Oh, but I need it for this. I need it for that. Or you just get busy and you forget to transfer it. Um, I think the more the money is automated, and this is the concept behind a 401k plan mm-hmm. is the money goes in into your 401k account before the paycheck ever hits your bank account. So you never see it and it's never there or available to spend in the first place. And I think we need to take that mentality through all of the rest of our savings and investing. Um, there are also a lot of studies that show that even investing in the market, you tend to do better and be more successful if you just automate a small amount every single month, rather than feeling like, oh, you know, I'm going to save up until I have 10, 20, $30,000. And then I'm going to put a big chunk in the market. Um, most people can't time the market. They can't time the best time to get in. 
And uh, for the most part, if you kind of set it, forget it, and just automate everything, you're going to be a lot more consistent and successful with it. I even had a client just the other day that I, um, so she was moving out of her apartment and was going to spend a few months back home, living back at home and wasn't going to have rent. And I said, you know what, whatever you're paying for rent right now, automate that same amount as a transfer from checking to savings the minute you move in with your parents. I said, because you're already used to paying it as rent, now just pay it back to yourself. Because if you go move in with your parents, suddenly you're rent-free. Now you're going to start thinking, oh, I have all this discretionary income I can spend. I said, no, just automate it to your <laughs> savings account. Um, so every everything, I think the more we can automate, the better. That is great advice. I really <laughs> hope she took it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like normalization is an extremely important part of getting ahead financially. Like not only do you have to learn these concepts and learn about these steps, but we have to make it so a part of our normal everyday lives that it doesn't even feel like an event, right? I yeah. remember when I first learned about investing my money and the different types of retirement accounts I can invest it in, you know, even so much as transferring money into the account and figuring out what assets to buy, it felt like such a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like it felt like I took days and days of like thinking on it and, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to like do this now. I'm about to like click buy, you know, I'm about, I'm about to like purchase this asset. It was like such a big thing, but over time, you know, the more you do it, it just becomes so normalized for you. It's like, almost like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like I'm just gonna do this now. Right. It's, right. it's, it's basically like brushing your teeth at this point. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the truth is, is most of us aren't educated on any of it. Um, money typically isn't a conversation that's you know, discussed openly in households. Um, and unless your parents are savvy investors, they're not necessarily teaching their children how to invest or how to think about what to do with their money. It's not taught in schools. So there really is no place to learn it. And suddenly you're on your own, you're making money and you don't really know what to do with it. You don't know what to prioritize. And I find that a lot of people get into sort of an analysis paralysis state where mm -hmm. they're like, should I put more towards my student loans or should I put more towards my investments? Uh, what, what do I prioritize? And then you just get stuck not knowing what decision to make. So you don't do anything at all. Um, and I think that hinders a lot of people. For sure. And I think that there's so much overload in the world um, where, you know, there's a ton of information on any given topic, um, financial or otherwise. And I think that oftentimes people fall into the trap of thinking that very general advice is something that they should always be acting on when in reality, sometimes it's very important to speak to someone who can give you personalized advice mm -hmm. based on holistically examining your specific situation. 
So true. And that goes back to the keeping up with the Joneses. Um, advice that's good for one person is not necessarily good for the other. And I hear a lot of people say, well, but my friend is invested in this or my friend <laughs> is doing X, Y, Z. Well, that may be great for them, but maybe that's not the right you know, path for you. And so I do think that personalized investment advice is really critical. I think seeking professional, um, a professional to help you with it, because you're right, there's an overwhelming amount of information out there um, to try to navigate. For sure. And general input can be a great rule of thumb. Um, it can be a great piece of information to keep in your back pocket when you are starting to think about these situations. But, you know, being careful to not just copy what everyone else is doing, both when it comes to your spending habits and your saving and investment habits can also be very critical, at, regardless of what point in your journey you're in. Absolutely. Now that's so true. And to that point, just to start to wrap things up here, do you have any other pieces of advice you wish more people knew about, um, specifically Henry's, when it comes to obtaining their financial goals while also managing their money in a way where they mm. still feel like they're deriving joy from the process? Yeah, I mean... I honestly, I think we've covered the majority of the important topics, um, but I would just add that, you know, really kind of looking at what is important to you, what you want to see unfold in your life in the next 10, 15 years, um, because I feel like so much of us just kind of go through day to day and we're not really thinking about the future um, because it seems so far out there. So um, you know, intangible, but I would say that, you know, one piece of advice is really, really start to outline your goals and think about what you do want your life to look like, because that will help you dictate that balance. You know, do I prioritize more towards a down payment? Because that's, what's really important to me buying a house in three years, or maybe I don't want to buy a house so I can start to shift my extra money towards something different. Um, it's going to really help you figure out how and where you should be allocating your resources, what kinds of things you do value spending your money on versus the things that you don't. Um, uh, so just really spending some time sitting down and kind of thinking about your goals, your priorities, and what you want to see happen with your own life. On that note, thank you so much again, Autumn, for being a guest on today's show. It was such a great conversation and I definitely learned a lot. And I know many listeners will learn so much from hearing you speak today. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Of course. Do you have any social media you'd like to share or anywhere we can find you and the rest of the work you're doing? Yeah, you can um, follow me on Instagram, Autumn at Drucker Wealth. And you can also check out our website, DruckerWealth.com. There you can find a lot of information about the work that I do and um, even schedule a right fit call, which is like a quick 15 minute convo where we can talk about your situation. Amazing. Thank you so much again.
You're welcome. Thanks for having me. If you've made it this far, I want to take the time to thank you for tuning into this episode. As a valuable listener, you inspire and encourage me to keep creating high quality content that helps you reach your goals, which is why the best way to show me that you're getting a lot out of this episode and the show is to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. By doing so, you'll also help other people find this podcast so we can all grow together. Please also don't forget to follow along on social media. We are at Not Rich Yet Pod pretty much everywhere. I do all the researching, the interviewing, the recording, and the hosting, but this show couldn't happen without the help of our Not Rich Yet podcast team. This show is produced by Willie T Productions and edited by Will Tarashak, the founder of Willie T Productions. I'm your host, Jasmine Suknanen, and I'll catch you in the next episode.